All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast comes to you normally on Sundays. Uh, but as you now know, we're, we're switching it up, probably going to come to you on a lot of Mondays. I think next weekend we'll be able to get it out on Sunday. I um, We're going to be in Columbia, South Carolina next week. So I'm probably just going to drive to Charlotte and should have most of the day to be able to work on it. So happy to be here. Happy to be with you guys. Uh, I want to start by saying this, the comments uh, last week, based on what we told you about the time and the timing and when we're going to be able to put it out, um, just blew me away. Thank you very much. Just you don't get a whole lot of nice on the Internet and you guys were really nice. And I really do appreciate that. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. Whew, uh, what a weekend of college football. What a weekend in the, in the Southeastern Conference. I know uh, there are a lot of people that have a lot of questions, uh, a lot of concerns. And we're going to try to talk to you about all those. As you know, each and every week we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Uh, you can use them for appetizers. You can put them on your burgers. You can snack on them. Uh, go to WicklesPickles.com. You can have some drop ship to your house. If your local grocery store doesn't have them, ask them what's going on. Tell them you need them. Tell them they need to get that fixed and get Wickles Pickles in your grocery store. Uh, I'm in Charlotte now, uh, a little bit of a different hotel room, a bit of a lighting nightmare in here. So uh, I'm, no, I'm not being held hostage. Uh, I'm not being um, I'm not being interviewed by folks. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, it's, it's a little bit weird. Uh, Oxford, Mississippi this weekend. So let's kind of get it started on that. Uh, it was a really cool weekend. Had a lot of fun. Uh, great visit with Lane. Love catching up with Pete Golding. We got to talk to him for a while. Uh, love talking to Charlie Weiss Jr. I, I just think first and foremost, like this is one of the most football savvy staffs that I've been around in a while. I, you talk about just being football smart. The two coordinators, obviously Lane, a bit of a savant when it comes to football. It's just, um, it, it, it was, it's pretty cool. Um, got to talk to my buddy, John Kearns. We went to city grocery Friday night. Excellent. Had the trout special. Um, the cornbread there that they bring you out is just amazing. We had, we had good appetizers, good everything. It, it was an awesome dinner and had a really good time. Love being down there on the square. Uh, it was hopping parents weekend. So a lot of folks moving around. It was pretty crowded, but it was fun. Had a lot of energy in Oxford this weekend. Not all positive energy, but I will say this. Um, I heard what a lot of folks were saying. I heard what a lot of folks were yelling. I saw some of the things that were thrown. But for the most part, like nine out of 10, extremely nice people in Oxford. Folks coming up, saying hello, shaking hands, telling me they appreciate me. Say, hey, we listen to the podcast, we watch the show, love the show Monday nights with Roman. So I just want to say thank you to those people as well. Uh, it was really cool. And got to go see Nick and my guys at Blue Delta. Uh, I st actually stopped by the shop, got measured for a couple pairs of pants, a couple pairs of jeans. They got me hooked up. They got me fixed up there. Uh, if you're in Oxford, you got to go see them. BlueDeltaJeans.com, the most comfortable denim you'll ever have. And I, have, I had a little bit of an issue on one of my where I just feel like one of the legs is a little bit tighter than the other. And Nick's like, bring them in. No problem. We'll, we'll get them fixed. We'll take care of them. We'll adjust them for you. And then we'll ship them back to you. That's the kind of service you get at Blue Delta Jeans. The most comfortable denim you'll ever wear. Just go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Uh, ask for Nick and those guys. Tell them that you want the deal that I get and they'll hook you up and they'll take care of you. It's going to be the only pair of jeans you're going to want the rest of your life. Comfortable, stretchy, dressy. They look great. A lot of different fabrics to choose from. Now they have belts. They got some hats in. Go to the website, check those out, and uh, you can grab yourself some Blue Delta gear. Let's talk about this this old Miss Georgia Tech game first and foremost. Uh, 48-23, a little bit tighter than, than that score indicated at times. Um, 
but there are some pieces of this Ole Miss team I'm really impressed with. I thought the offensive line took a little bit of step in this game and still didn't play great football uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but coming around a little bit and because the Tulane game was rough, did not play well. Uh, that, that group had a bad outing. But still didn't get the run game going the way that they wanted to. Uh, the Judkins thing was kind of weird. They didn't talk to us a lot about it in meetings. Then all of a sudden it starts coming out. Looks like he's going to be doubtful. Lane said he's going to dress. Uh, he goes out there and warms up. And then Lane literally, we already go through a big portion of our open. And we talk about the fact that he's doubtful. As you guys might know, Lane is really late coming out. He comes running out, getting his headset on. He sees me. And he always kind of does this. He just walks towards me and he's always, he's just talking when he gets to me. It's really cool. And, um, I said, so just you, you thinking more four or five wide spread it out. Cause Charlie Weiss told us the reason they ran, they threw the ball so much against Mercer or didn't run it as much against Mercer is cause they were throwing the ball so well. And so I'm just thinking, all right, you're going to essentially go air raid mode and, and let Jackson Dart pitch it around a little bit. No Trey Harris in this game. So that hurt priest corn, still not back in the lineup just yet. Uh, we hadn't seen him in an old Miss uniform. Form, but he's going to be when he does get out there. Um, and Lane's like, no, he said, um, he said he wants to play. And so we, we're probably a minute and a half from kick here. I hit my producer. I was like, you got to let me back in. Tell Tom I need to get back in. Lane just told me he wants to play. They're going to let him play. So we actually got that on the air before kick. There it was. Uh, got that done. Judkins plays a little bit. Um, I saw him and Kevin Smith talking a bunch on the sideline. Uh, I think there was a little frustration there, but you know, he's, I don't think he's a hundred percent by any stretch of the imagination, but you commend him for giving it a go. Uh, he wanted to be out there and wanted to play Jackson dart, big game, big game, running the football. He told me after the game, I didn't really anticipate having to do that. Uh, but it was something that just kind of presented itself. And he's one of those guys that has just like a kind of a good feel. I liken it to when our first year under Tuberville and Mazzoni at Auburn, when Heath Evans was a fullback and then he kind of ended up having to be our tailback. He was just a little bit step slower uh, than a lot of the other smaller backs that we had. And it kind of, it, it was almost, it almost forced a little bit of patience to wait for the zone stuff to open. Then he would just get North and South. And I'm not saying Jackson darks, the kind of ball carrier that Heath Evans was, but he, he, it almost forces him to have a little bit of patience because he's not real quick twitch. And then he does a good job of just getting North and South when it, when it opens up. So I think that is going to be something they can carry moving forward. I don't know how much they build off it or around it, but I do think it's something that they can have. Um, you know, they, they, they've got weapons offensively and Triggs coming along. He's getting better. If they can get priest corn back, like that's going to be the best thing that ever happens to Michael Trigg is being able to play 12 personnel, two tight ends, one back. And then Triggs sort of your flex guy. And I asked Charlie Weiss that he's like, man, absolutely. He's like, we try to tell him that and just kind of hang in there when we get to that. And we're, you know, we might be able to do that and make some of that happen. Um, but this offense is dangerous regardless. I mean, you see how they can hit you in waves as this game was kind of tight, kind of tight, kind of tight. And then you get halfway through the second half and it's like, boom, boom, boom. Here they go. Um, but it was, you know, it was about what you anticipated uh, outside Ole Miss being able to run the football a little bit better than they, I know they wanted to. Um, but it's, it's, 
the other part was that Zachary Franklin apparently was going to warm up. And I was excited to see him because obviously I've seen him at UTSA and I know what he's capable of and thought that would be interesting to see him get out there. But Aiden Williams is a true freshman receiver that played a little bit that they're really high on, said that they want to use him a little bit like they used Malik Keith last year. Long, big catch radius, can win the one-on-ones. Uh, excited about what he can do. They do think Trey Harris can be back next week. Priest Corn not as confident. Um, but, you know, you're, you're talking about probably three of your top five skill guys that were were going to be out for this game. Judkins obviously goes. But when you've got Dayton Wade, Jordan Watkins, if you can get Zakari Franklin back in there with Trey Harris back and then Aiden Williams continues to come on, like you're going to have a ton of weapons. And I, I'll tell you one other thing I noticed about this offense. Um, I thought Ulysses Bailey had a couple good runs. But more importantly, I thought he had a couple really good blocks. And he, I almost feel like he had been categorized by a lot of people as, you know, kind of a speed guy, maybe a little bit of a scat guy, like a changeup back. And he kind of proved to me a little bit in this game that he he might not have to be that kind of a guy. Uh, that physicality is not going to be something he shies away from. I, I was really impressed with how Ulysses Bailey was out there trying to mix it up a little bit and and trying to go at folks. Um, I I was impressed with that part. Uh, One other thing I was impressed with, and we don't hear this a lot of other places, Spencer Sanders. He got in the game pretty late, but that's not the part that that I'm impressed with. Um, Talking to Charlie Wise Jr. and talking to Lane, they, and actually we talked to Jackson Dart too, and he was the same way. They all raved about how this kid has handled himself. And Jackson said, one of the reasons that I can understand things conceptually is like Spencer has made our room better. He conceptually knows everything. He's seen everything. He's seen every defense. He's played a ton of football. He's been around. He said, he helps me with a lot and helps me understand a lot. I just really thought, man, like how cool that was. They said his attitude has been great. His energy's up at practice every day. Like he wants to be there. He's bouncing around. He's motivating other guys. You think about where we are in college football right now to have a guy who comes in and you know, he's, he's obviously, he's not the starter and he's not even really playing and he's able to motivate the other guys and he's able to be that kind of a leader. And he's been one of the most productive quarterbacks in college football history for the last four years. Uh, I just thought it was really cool to hear that, you know, he was that kind of a guy on this team, on this roster. You just don't get that a whole lot. Um, I did think Micah Pettis had a better game. We saw his tweet and and what that was about. Um, You know, I thought he did a little bit better this week and and I was impressed with what he had to offer, but it's a team that's beat up right now. And they're kind of trying to find themselves and they head into Alabama this week with, I don't know what the availability is going to be. If you have Trey Harris, if you have Zakari Franklin and obviously a Judkins that maybe is closer to being a hundred percent with Trig out there doing what he does, they got, they have a chance to do some things. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Alabama's defense here in a little while, but you know, that's, that that's one that could be really interesting. Uh, and I did just kind of want to say, you know, defensively, I was really impressed talking to Pete, kind of how he's built it. He said he put the emphasis on speed, said they needed to get bigger at corner. Uh, I've got my charts here from the game. So I'm just, I'm kind of cheating a little bit just so I go through back some of my notes and share with you guys what we found out and what we saw. Um, you know, he's got he's got three guys who started at cornerback at different schools last year that are starting at safety this year because they wanted more length. Um, you know, they, they they wanted guys that were over like six one, six two. So um 
you know, Dejon Anthony would be one of those guys. John Saunders Jr. would be one of those guys. Um, Deshaun Gaddy would be one of those guys. So, and then he too, he said, you know, they, they've got to get more speed in the linebacker room. They feel pretty good about it right now, but it's just, it's not where it needs to be. They need more depth over on the edge. Cedric Johnson's getting a little bit too much playing time. Somebody needs to sort of offset him a little bit. Uh, they love what they're getting from Isaac Uquo, big second effort guy. Um, Perkins is going to be huge for them. Like he, he popped out to me on the two lane film. I was like, Ooh, this guy's going to be able to get it off the edge a little bit. Like I like this kid and Pete was raving about him. He was in a sort of see ball, get ball defense in high school. So conceptually doesn't know a lot. He's very limited in what they ask him to do right now, but don't be surprised if number four makes some plays for this old Miss defense across the course of this season. And then Ladarius Tennyson, they just raved about him, uh, what he's done, what he's doing. Uh, fastest guy on the defense. He plays their big nickel, um, elite ability, uh, can do a lot of different things. And the safeties have to fit the run in different ways in this defense because they're, they're, they're going, they're keeping part of what Pete had before he got to Alabama along with the Alabama defense. So that's why Wes Neighbors being there is big because Wesley played for Saban in his defense, but he coached with Patrick Tony at Lafayette and that was Pete's defense. So now they're kind of meshing them together. So that was a big hire for Pete. So he can kind of put those two defenses together and the safety rotation is something that's very different on that that separates it a little bit from the Alabama defense. They love Stephon Wynn Jr. Pete said He's been like the, uh, the, the old veteran inside linebacker. That's, you know, the guy that like the kind of like the Henry Toto of that Alabama defense where he's not the most physically gifted. He's not super twitchy and all that, but he knows everything can get everybody right and he can help the room just be better. Uh, he's, he's kind of been that player for them. Uh, they want Joshua Harris to come on a little bit and do some different things. Pagese is still going to be your athlete up there that's trying to learn how to continue to be a better D lineman. He had a big block down the goal line that was a lot of fun. I tweeted that one out if you want to go see it. He just destroyed. Uh, somebody coming off the edge there, but it's a group that's better than it was a year ago, has a chance to continue to get better, uh, struggled at corner a little bit in this game. Uh, but keep in mind, I mean, Eric Singleton is one of the guys that they were beating him. Mean, he runs a 10, 200. He was a state hundred meter champion in high school. So in the state of Georgia, which is impressive enough, um, but quickly speaking on Georgia tech, uh, it was cool visiting with Coach Key. I think he's got this thing heading in the right direction. They've upgraded their speed. They've upgraded their athleticism. I mean, you look at the receiving core. I just mentioned Singleton, Christian Leary coming over from Alabama, Chase Lanes there from A&M. He didn't play in this game, but you know Dominic Blaylock from from Georgia. They've got real guys at wide receiver. Haynes King looks like a different quarterback. He was very efficient in this game. Uh, you know, he's got just enough mobility to scare you a little bit. And you know, I really think Buster Faulkner is is going to be a big time offensive coordinator and he's got a good plan for how they want to manage it and handle it. Um, he's got some young talent there, like Ethan McKinney, a kid who's his granddad played in the NBA. His mom played Georgia tech at basketball at the same time. Brent key was in school. They knew each other. Uh, that was pretty cool. Actually a pretty cool story was that, um, so Buster Faulkner's girlfriend's brother was at Georgia Tech, lived in the same dorm as Brent Key. So they would bring him around. So Brent Key was playing football at Georgia Tech when he met Buster, Buster Faulkner when he was in high school. And so got to know him then. Then he goes on into coaching and they kind of come back to meet each other once again. And Buster bet on himself, man. He was you know coaching at some G5 schools and then said, I'm going to go to Georgia to kind of be an analyst and figure this out. And here he is at Georgia Tech, the OC, and they're doing good things. So he's got a good staff. I, I like the staff that he's put together. They run that stretch play, use multiple tight ends. It's a cool system, a 
cool scheme. Um, another cool story about Haynes King, the Texas A&M transfer. Um, Brent was telling me, like, I was like, how did, how did you know? Because when I saw him at A&M, like it didn't, it didn't look like he was going to be able to do it. Like it didn't look like he was the guy. And Brent kind of said, well, I was with you. He's like, I didn't really, I didn't really believe it either. Like I didn't think that, that he was going to be able to help us that much. And he said, but Winky said, Chris Winky's on their staff. He said, Winky and, and Buster said they could fix him. Said he thought he was big time guy. They go to college station. He's in the portal. So this isn't anything shady or anything. They meet with him in an airplane hangar at college station and talked to him about where he wants to go, what he wants to do. And, you know, he got on the whiteboard, showed him some things. They watched him film together. And he was like, Cole, I was sold. He's like, the kid knows every position, what they're supposed to be doing. Like conceptually, he knows ball. He's like a big football nerd. And I already knew that Jimbo already said all that when he was there at A&M. So, uh, but pretty cool to kind of hear the story of how they got in. They've worked with his feet, done some different things. Um, and so it was, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, Joe Fusile, who's a, a left guard for Georgia tech is a kid that Brent said, he's an extension to me. He's just like me out on the field. Like he holds everybody accountable, does everything. And he's been through a lot in his personal life. But Brent said he's, he's a former walk-on and he said, you know, the kid just, he wanted to play football and he wanted to be an engineer. So he walked on to Georgia tech, wanted to play at Georgia tech. And I just, I kind of took a step back because, you know, key is an offensive line coach too. And I said, imagine being 18 years old, knowing you want to be an engineer. And he just kind of laughed. And I was like, my brain just can't fathom that. Like, I can't function even. I think the only thing that I knew of an engineer when I was 18 was like shoveling coal into a locomotive, like as a train conductor. Like I, I didn't I didn't even know what the hell you had to do to be an engineer. But it's impressive to hear some of these younger kids that just have more and more together than I ever did or any of us ever did. So, um, but it ended up being a good game. And Ole Miss walks away late. They show their firepower. And it's going to be interesting to see what they can do coming up against Alabama this weekend. So I'm excited about that one. Um, I tell you what else you should be excited about, uh, prize picks. If you're looking into fantasy football, you want to play fantasy sports, prize picks can help you out. Really simple to play. I make my picks, submits my entry in less than 60 seconds. And I do it on the app. You can go to prizepicks.com slash cube. Use promo code cube for your first deposit match up to a hundred bucks. That's right. Put a hundred dollars in there and they're going to match it. When you go to prizepicks.com slash cube today, really simple to play this week on prize picks. I'm selecting Saquon Barkley, more than 60 yards, Patrick Mahomes for more than two passing touchdowns. I'm going to get Justin Jefferson in less than a hundred yards. I'm going to get Odell Beckham Jr. for more than 50 yards and Josh Allen for more than two passing touchdowns. So I haven't even looked at everything to see how that went, but we're going to see if it goes prize picks now offers Apple pay as well. So quick and easy deposits into your account for this football season. Why not make it easy? All right. So listen, if you want to play fantasy football and you're like me and you don't know a ton about it, make it very easy on yourself. Just go to prizepicks.com slash cube. Use promo code cube. If you put a hundred dollars and you got 200 to play right now at prize picks, the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You just select two or more players. You pick more or less on their projected stat total. And then you place your entry, test your skills on prize picks this football season. It can be the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few clicks. Once again, prizepicks.com slash cube promo code 
Bluetooth Cube. They will match your deposit up to 100 bucks. Also, guys, don't forget this episode brought to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, guys. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance, get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. It's easy. You can take them anytime, day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in a chewable tablet at a fraction of the cost. The best part is all done online. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line in the pharmacy. You don't have to worry about any of that. Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. Now, listen, does it work? Do you think you need to try it? You try a free month and see. You're going to love it. Now, you could be missing out on the best days of your life and the best times of your life with your significant other. With Blue Chew, men everywhere excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has now arrived. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. we got a special deal just for you, uh, our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code CUBE, C-U-B-E, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's all you have to do. That's BlueChew.com, promo code CUBE. Receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details, important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring Cube Show. All right, let's get into some games over the weekend. Uh, Sanford, Auburn, Auburn, 45 to 13. I thought Auburn tackled well. This is a Sanford team. It's air raid. Chris Hatcher does a great job with them. Michael Ayers, their quarterback, has been around forever. He put up a bunch of numbers last year. They have good receivers. But they're going to get you in space, and they're going to make you run. Auburn got ball carriers to the ground. I get it. It's Sanford. I know. But they handled their business, and I felt pretty good about that. couple plays late. Not overly concerned about it. Um, I thought 50 was really good up front for Auburn. I I, the interior of that defensive line's got to come around. They, they, they've got to be better. He was one that stuck out and has now for two weeks that has been disruptive and done some different things against the run and in pass pro, by the way. Um, but, you know, the linebackers, I don't know collectively if they're doing sort of the things that they need to do, but I do know Eugene Asante was fantastic again, and he had to rush the passer a couple of times, and he actually got a couple wins there. Uh, so he, he might be the best pass rusher on the football team right now. Uh, but collectively up front, I want to see that group be a little bit better. Saw him get a little bit displaced, uh, lost rush lane integrity a couple of times, and just not a consistent pass rush when they needed it. Um I, I did think Zion Puckett had a nice game on the back end as well. Physical hustle, batted a ball down. Uh, I thought that was good. Um, Jalen Simpson had an interception. And like I said, I, th- I think Puckett, Simpson, Marcus Harris, the guys on defense, along with Asante, that stuck out to me that played good football. Uh, DJ Rim had a couple of nice plays on the back end as well. Listen, Auburn goes 43 carries for 222 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, they did turn it over three times, though. That's got to stop. And it's not all on one guy. It's not all on one thing. It's I think it's focus. And I think it's just something that you've got to place an emphasis on. Peyton Thorne looked a lot better. He looked deliberate. He looked in command of the offense. He looked like he understood where to go, how to get through his progressions on the quick game. It was get the ball turn, boom, get it out. And he did uh, the catch and run stuff behind the line of scrimmage was really good for Auburn. A couple backs out of the backfield thought Cobb did a nice job with that. A couple of receivers in the quick game did a nice job. We finally saw Jair shorter get going. He had a big catch down the field. Shane hooks had a nice catch on a deep ball. Amari Kelly one-on-one on 
one-on-one deep down the field. So I, I, the receiving core, I, I think this receiving core that we saw and how they did things is what we kind of thought we were going to get from this group. It was much better. Um, and then you had the perimeter throws to sort of offset that. And that's when you get the defense coming up and out. That's when you can take advantage of some things down the field. And they were able to do that. Now, Peyton Thorne on the run, he rushes for over 100 yards. He looked good. He did some nice things. I don't know if this necessarily means they're going to live and die by this or they're going to try to build off of this or carry as much of this each and every week. Some of it was him leaving the pocket. Um, some of it was by design, but you have Robbie Ashford to be able to offset that and handle it. So I'm, I'm not going to be overly concerned about it. Um, I thought uh, I thought seeing 77 get in on on the offensive line was pretty good because Jeremiah Wright's got just loads of talent, loads of power. He had one big pull where he kind of decleats a guy and knocks him down. He's been inconsistent through camp. He's got a long way to go, but man, he can help that offensive line. He can help that offense, that team, if he can just get in there and he can get going. So Thorne throws for 282, a touchdown and a pick, ran 11 times for 123. So a really nice day for him and a really nice win for Auburn. They handled their business. I know Coach Free's got to be happy about that one. Uh, A&M 47, La Monroe 3. Um, I felt Terry Bowden, by the way, had Lama Monroe playing pretty good football. And, and I felt like they did some really nice things in this game. Anaya Smith, moving him around, getting him the football in different ways. I really liked that. Um, I thought the backs looked really good in this game. Ruben Owens and Le'Veon Moss and the different ways that they used the backs. There was some run game creativity. Uh, speaking of Ole Miss Georgia Tech last year in that game, there was this swap switch zone play that they ran. So it looks like counter and the back comes back, but he comes back into them running full zone. There was a similar play that A&M ran in this game, and I loved it. Um, that's the kind of creativity, the little the little changes that need to continue to happen for this offense to be successful. I thought Connor Wigman looked great, 25 of 29, 337 in a touchdown, deliberate, didn't panic in the pocket, can absolutely rip it when he needs to, and he did it a couple of times. Jade Walker had a couple of big catches down the field. He had a big day, um, but there are still some pressure issues up front. I want to see Layden Robinson play better football. He's not been consistent, and that entire offensive line as a group – there are just letdowns in protection. It's turning guys free. It's not understanding who's hot. It's backs leaving too early. It's tight end. Tight ends, I think, were good blocking in this game, but there were still points in time in which there was some miscommunication between the three facets that have to help the quarterback in protection, O-line, backs, tight ends. Uh, that's got to get cleaned up. I mean, he, he about got sawed in half against Miami. And now you get a, a little bit more leakage against La Monroe. W what's happening on a lot of this stuff? And you guys have heard me talk a lot about it. And slide protection we've mentioned is just, it, it's a, it's an epidemic in this country. Uh, Gabe Eichert, who played offensive line at Oklahoma and, and does an Oklahoma podcast with Teddy Lehman. He was texting me clips tonight. He was like, you're right, man. This is, it's an epidemic. And he was a big 12 teams that were doing it. And there's, so when you slide the protection, it's just gapping one way or the other. It, it can be jet. It can be slide. It can be gap. It can be quick whatever you want to call it, but defenses are figuring out how to gap replace. So bring guys where they think you're going to be. Uh, there are a lot of teams that will blitz the back. LSU did this against Mississippi state and it worked really well blitz the back. So if the backs out on a route or if the black comes across, 
to pick up protection that way, there should not be the numbers there to be able to pick it up. Or if your back is staying put right there and he's going to come up in protection and you overload that side, it's going to be a problem. So defenses are just smartening up to this. And when you rely on and depend on side protection, these offensive linemen these days, they can't play with their eyes. So if I get to the right, I can stay here and help this nose. I don't have to go all the way into that gap. I can play that gap with my eyes and wait and see what comes through. That's what's not happening. So this like there's a conceptual struggle with protection right now with a lot of offensive lines that I'm seeing. And that's why defenses are playing uber aggressive. They're stunting, they're slanting, they're blitzing, they're having run through and it's working because one thing we're going to talk about with the Alabama game a minute ago, offenses are not making defenses pay for what they are risking. So whatever you're leaving out there for the taking offenses are not attacking it. They're being attacked and they don't have a good countermeasure. So that's kind of something that's going on. Uh, A&M, some defensive coverage issues on the perimeter down the field a little bit. Not, not I mean, not hit the panic button time, but a couple of things I saw down the field. And then, boy, I got to say again, man, Shamar Turner was lights out, lights out again. Um, and this is what's cool is he can go out there outside of a tackle and he can rush off the edge. He can move down into a three technique outside shade of a guard and he can strike and shed an offensive lineman and play the interior of the defensive line exactly the way it's supposed to be played. Like he had an awesome game again. And I know he had the issue last week is what it is, but this kid is showing up every week. And he's playing his ass off. And I've been really impressed with what he's done. Um, and he is a an absolute bright spot uh, for this Texas A&M defense because he has just been big time uh, for DJ Durkin's group so far this year. But a nice win for A&M, 47-3. They handle their business. Uh, Vanderbilt goes down to UNLV, 40-37. to um, Going back to last week again, something else we talked about. I want to credit Barry Odom, especially their defense, playing like their hair is on fire. Seriously, uh, that UNL defense was flying around that football field. And I thought Vanderbilt actually played fairly well offensively. Now, there are a couple of things that happen. Um, you have two or three moments in every game. We've mentioned this before with AJ Swan, where he just decides he's going to try something. And he's going to let it rip. And he's going to go out there and throw it. And that's just kind of what it's going to be. And you had a moment in this game. Uh, I think it was late second quarter around middle of the field. You're driving. Uh, you've got kind of everything heading your direction and things are right there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you sort of take a chance and you throw a pick. It looked like it was open. It was a crosser, kind of a deep cross man coverage. It may have been a hair behind, but, but the coverage was there the entire time. But that's one that I felt like he just made up his mind. He was going to throw it and it was going to happen down in the red zone at a bad snap. Then you miss a cornerback cat that's coming. And that's a, that, that hits a fumble and it's a sack sack strip. You have some linebacker run through that's just not picked up. Um, and then, you know, the one that was a real killer is they you, you try to run a reverse. Vanderbilt tries to run a reverse. There's pressure coming off the edge that that's actually coming with the reverse. But reverse takes a long time to die, you know, to, to actually make happen. It's a long developing play. Um, the guard pulls around and there's a back that's going play action as well. The guard sees the blitzer too late and 
so you have to retrack. So if you pull, a lot of times you pull flat and then you see these guys pulling protection, which is like the second worst thing behind slide protection because it just gets guys in space and gets them in trouble. But if you go to pull flat and there's a blitzer coming off the edge, you have to retrack. So you have to, you have to all immediately gain depth. Now there are things called pre-snap reads in which you should see this or know this. There's a call that the opposite tackle can make. And on the film, there were wide shots of the stadium and the stands and the seats. There's no fucking way there are enough people in there for it to be loud enough to where you couldn't communicate that. Pardon my language, but it makes me mad when I start talking about this because this is easily handled. Now, I know it's play action and it's, it's, it, you know, you're coming off the football and you think you're going to slow guys down, but all you had to do is make a simple, first off, you probably should have gotten out of it, but you, you run, you run like an inside, you're on like a, like a power fake guard pulls, doesn't see it. So here comes blitzer back is faking, getting the football the same direction. He doesn't retract to pick it up. And what happens? Quarterback turns around to give it on the reverse linebacker blows him up. It's a fumble. That's a huge problem. That was a huge swing right there because they ran it back and they scored. Your Vanderbilt was up 17-10 late second around midfield driving at that point. And then all of a sudden it's 17-17, all the momentum with Las Vegas, even though they don't have the turnover slot machine anymore. Apparently the gaming commission got involved in that thing, whatever. Um, but either way, um, Vanderbilt had this game, man. Like they... 14 made a couple big catches down the sideline. He's just been phenomenal for them. They quickly distributed the ball to some of their skill players. They made some plays in space, even though UNLV was tackling well. UNLV tackled really well because Vanderbilt had a good plan to get the ball into the hands of their skill guys quickly, and they can run. They got a couple guys that can run, and they just could not turn that into bigger and bigger plays. Uh, the offensive line could not hold up in protection. That's still a problem, and defensively, that secondary just continues to get in trouble but i'm just gonna say this clark is building it he has it heading in the right direction i like what i see from him and there are just a lot of positives that i think are going on with vanderbilt football right now they got to clean a few things up just get the quarterback to get away from those by god i'm gonna do this a couple times a game and clean up the turnovers and find a little bit better coverage and a little bit better protection and they might be able to squeak a couple games out that people don't think they're going to be able to get this year uh, i thought one of the bigger surprises of the weekend florida 29 tennessee 16 um boy uh, i tell you there there were a couple of things about this game that when you look at sort of how they went and what happened that were surprising but there are also things that when you just look at the way that they were set up and what they did, it shouldn't be surprised the way that they happen. Um, I got to start with this one though. Number 99 for the Florida Gators. Um, this is a kid that, and you know what? I don't, I don't really like doing this a whole lot, but I'm just, I'm going to do it this one time. If you were to go back to the summer and pick up a couple of our episodes talking about guys coming out of the portal, we, you know, we, we talked about on this show about Cam Jackson, the D tackle out of Memphis and that we liked him and the, some of the things he did on film were going to carry over. And then I talked to Ryan Silverfield about him and he raved about it, how much power he had and how, how good he could be. And that he hasn't even reached his potential yet. Uh, Austin Armstrong told me during camp, some of the same things. If you want to go find this game again and you want to focus on number 99 for Florida I would be willing to bet you that every time Tennessee tried to run in between the tackles or just run the ball period, not out wide on the perimeter, 99 affected the play. He was absolutely dominant. First play of the game, 
Tennessee spits it out to the right. And if you see over in the left part of the screen, Cam Jackson has a center and he literally just throws him and he goes like two yards in the air to the left. And I was like, Oh, rewind that one. Got to see that again. He just tosses him. Uh, He was two gapping and striking and shedding guys off of him the entire night. He, I think he was the main reason that Florida's defense won that game because it allowed them to play four and five man boxes, which are light boxes against the run. They played four, four in the box a lot and Tennessee could not run the football. Florida tackled extremely well when they spit the ball out on the perimeter. Tennessee is usually going to get some of those quick throws out wide into at least, at least one or two explosive plays in a game. And they couldn't do it because Florida was tackling well. Uh, now you had your center out, you had your right tackle out. So Tennessee's line was down a little bit. I get it, but give that defensive line 95 had a good game. 17 made some plays. seven made some play. Like, I mean, there, there were multiple guys that were stepping up, making plays. Um, I thought Princely number one, did some good things off the edge, not just in, not just rushing the passer, but obviously in the run game as well. And so Tennessee can't get the run game going and they don't get what they need on the perimeter. That changes things because what I think it allowed Austin Armstrong to do is play a lot of versions of cover three. Well, when you have cover three, what do you have? Deep left, deep, right, deep middle, kind of hard to squeeze some balls in down the field when you have three deep safeties. Um, I thought Austin did, it appeared as though he did a good job of getting calls in quickly, like immediately. Now, I, I, I don't know everything of how it goes, but just the way that I kind of noticed it and what I saw, it felt like it was like, okay, plays over, boom, going. They're not looking around trying to check and move guys around and do this and that. They just kind of played with what they had, probably understood what are some of the weak spots of the defenses based on whatever, you know, formations or personnel groupings they got. And they managed it and they handled it. Uh, I thought Austin had a great game, called a great game. But that front, that front seven specifically, I mean, Big 21 was in there too. He did some things. It wasn't just 99, but I'm telling you, if you go back and watch it again, watch 99 for Florida. He owned this game. He played an outstanding football game and was the main reason that Florida was able to do what they did. And then defensively, I thought Tennessee was maybe a little bit too aggressive. Uh, So it was a good plan by Billy early. He comes out. It looked very similar to the Utah plan right out of the gate, east, west, east, west. And I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go again. But then they started going right at him. And it was it was a lot of inside outside zone. And then came the gap scheme stuff. Well, I think what Coach Banks thought is to take away some of the stuff on the stretch play. He was going to gap replace and he was going to move and he was going to slant because then you get guys in the backfield. You force the backs to retract, cut back maybe too early and you get them in trouble. Well, then they hit him with some of the gap scheme stuff and the Florida offensive line played fairly well. I mean, they had they had a pretty good game. Getting Kingsley back at center was big for them. They looked like they had a little bit more mean on a little bit more nasty going for them. Uh, It was impressive to see what that group did and how they played. And, uh, you know, I, ATM was huge in this game and he had really good patience for a back. that's as explosive as he is. A lot of times in the stretch play, those backs will take that and they'll just sprint. Like that was a problem. Tank Bigsby had early in his career. He would take the football and he would just sprint and like run into an offensive lineman. I thought ATM did a nice job with his patience, kind of waiting, 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 foot in the ground, boom, go get North and South. He had a big game. Um, you know, I, I I thought the center really struggled for Tennessee. The offensive line kind of struggled. If you can't run the ball against a light box in that again, you know, in that offense, you're going to have some issues. Um, there were two or three downfield that were close. There were one or two that were just flat missed. 
but there were one or two that the effort to go attack the football, I didn't like. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to say this finally about this game. Um, I think Joe Milton's going to catch a lot of hell for this game. I think there are going to be a lot of people out there that are saying he can't get it done. He can't hit the deep ball. You know, he's inconsistent. He's this, he's that. It's fine. But what I took away when I watched this film, I didn't turn that off and go to my next game thinking, man, Joe Milton's rough. Joe Milton had a bad day. Like, I, that's not, I don't think he was the reason Tennessee lost the game. And usually not one person is. But I just, I think you're going to hear a lot of how bad he was and, and how, how critical he was in them losing that game. And I just don't think that that's the way that that thing went down. It just wasn't. So uh, that, that that's not the way that I saw it. Nonetheless, they, they've got to find a way to get that O-line going because against Austin P, they played like maniacs. I know they didn't have a great game collectively, but like they were coming off the ball. Virginia too. Like they were firing off the ball, double teams. John Campbell got beaten pass pro a couple of times in this game. Like that was the other part that the O-line lost one-on-ones up front and pass pro. Like there's just that like, it can't happen. Um, especially when you get down a little bit late. So, but a surprising score that Florida was able to do that to that Tennessee team the way that they did. Um, so Arkansas goes down to BYU and, you know, this is one that I was kind of, I was anxious to see it. I was, I was curious as to how it would go because you guys have heard me. I've been pretty positive on Arkansas so far. I, I, I thought there had been a lot to like. I think I thought there had been a lot of things that were good, that were positive. Um, but 38, 31, uh, Arkansas goes down. <laughs> First play, they run outside zone to zero, and it's like, foo, foo, foo. He's like, he's in there. He hits it. It's good. It's like, here we go. Like they're gonna, they're gonna be rolling. I thought the offensive line was a little bit too quick to leave one another. Now, part of this BYU plays an aggressive nature of defense. It's not really an aggressive style, as in they blitz you all the time. It's just when they see something, they run and attack it, and they try to hit you. Like that's that's what I mean by aggressive nature. That's why a lot of play action works against them. Uh, misdirection, throwbacks, bootlegs, that kind of stuff. And I, I actually don't think Arkansas carried enough of enough of that, enough of those type of plays into this game. It did look like there was some things like that that were left out on the field that maybe could have been had. That's Monday morning quarterback stuff, whatever. Um, but like on the combination blocks, center guard, guard tackle, I felt like one guy was a little bit too quick to leave a lot of the times. Like instead of handling the down lineman and then going up a little bit late, uh, which is something Florida did a really good job of, um, that allowed some D linemen to like kind of work through and then make a play as the back was coming to the line of scrimmage. Um, so it was, it, it was a little bit rough. I, th- I thought KJ was still pretty sharp though. Like he fit some balls in some really small windows um, and he was pressured a little bit. So he kind of had to move around maybe a little bit more quarterback run would have helped. Um, I didn't think the tight ends had a good day blocking uh, and not, the offensive line wasn't dominant, but I thought the tight ends could have been a little bit better. Um, the BYU went quarterback spy a little bit because KJ normally would have broken some of those down when nobody's open and he would have gotten out of there. Receivers are, are making contested catches, tough catches, but they still just don't feel like they can create a lot of space. And and I don't know what you do with that. I don't know where you go with that. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know sort of how you manage. Like if you have guys that can catch almost everything you throw to them, but they're not always open. Like how, how do you handle that? You know, I, I like the Isaac Tesla kid. I thought he's been great. Uh, I thought this group has, has caught the ball fairly well, but 
you got to give your quarterback some easier targets and, and, and get a little more separation. There wasn't a lot of it in this game. He had to make tough throws again. Um, turnovers, killer, can't have them. I thought that was the difference. And the flags, the flags were the difference uh, for for Arkansas in this game. Like you can't go in and play a good team, a mature team, a disciplined team and do those kind of things, especially late and think that you're going to get a win against a team like this. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, two turnovers and 14 flags for the Hogs. Like that's, that's, that's above and beyond. You can't have that. So, and that's, that's not normal for a Sam Pittman coach football team. I still think there's some positives. I want to see how they bounce back, but God almighty, the stretch they got coming up. It's a lot, man. Like it, it, it is a whole lot. Um, they got to get some stuff cleaned up quickly. Uh, and I apologize to my wife for saying what I just said. She's going to be mad when she hears that. All right. So, uh, we'll move on. South Carolina and Georgia first. I want to tell you guys about Fabric Life Insurance. Uh, you guys know I talk about my kids a lot. Tell you about them, my family. I want to protect my family's future with life insurance. Uh, it's something that's got to happen for me. It's something that was very important to me. Uh, but there are a lot of life insurance ads on the radio. You probably heard them when you were a kid, hearing them at different times. Uh, but now you're the parent. And it's time to get life insurance of your own and protect your family and your kids. Uh, you've had to learn now with many new skills to provide for your family, how to do all the different things you do around the house, whether it's meal plan, laundry, yard work, and it doesn't get any easier. Now you got to protect your family's financial future. So Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs. They offer high quality term insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. So, fall about back to school obviously it's about football about routine checklist and the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future start that with life insurance guys this is something i skipped out on for a long time finally came to my senses realized i need to get this done and i need to get it done quickly fabric by gerber life makes quick easy and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric has partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years with over 1,700 five-star reviews. They're rated as excellent on Trustpilot. So here's what you need to do. You right now need to go to fabric.com slash cube. That's fabric.com slash cube. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cube. So meetfabric.com slash cube and go see what they can do for you. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cube. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Life insurance, very important. Get that taken care of for you and for your family. All right. Um, Georgia takes down South Carolina 24-14. This one was a little bit surprising for a lot of folks, too. Didn't really go the way that we thought it would. South Carolina came out humming. Uh, Juice Wells was back. Felt like, oh, man, this is it. This is the guy we thought we were going to get all year big touchdown early then he rolls his ankle or something again and all of a sudden he's got the lower extremity and it's like he's out he's not going to go there's just an, that had to be a dagger like emotionally for that team knowing you had him back knowing he was going to contribute knowing he's making big plays spencer rattler's throwing darts and then he's back out like that's just brutal that's tough to overcome uh the offensive line wasn't good again but what i did like is what they did with this plan quick ball distribution you saw it go to a lot of different people luke Doty's involved trey knox is involved the backs out of the backfield are involved quarterback run here. Spencer's dealing a little bit to offset that offensive line. The problem is 
you can't live and die on that for four quarters. You are going to have to find ways to come up with other things once Glenn Schumann adjusted. And then it just wasn't there. I think Schumann knew he could play a little bit lighter in the box. and He knew the run game wasn't going to be as much of a problem. And that's when he was able to dial up some pressures, mix and max some coverages, and things got a little bit more complicated. Xavier Leggett had a couple of great catches in this game again. I like how they line him up in the backfield, move him out, do different things with him. But once again, you, you weren't going to be able to make a living on that for the entire game. Edwards back at tailback for Georgia. I thought he provided a little bit of a spark. He showed great patience, kind of like what we talked about with ATN a little bit earlier. In some of the zone scheme for Georgia, he was just kind of wait, 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 wait. And it might go outside the tackle, and then he's north and south. It might hit back inside the guard, and then he would get upfield with a little bit of power. Uh, still had Bell, the receiver in the backfield, give you a little bit more speed here and there. Milton was there also. So they're still banged up at that position. Georgia kind of banged up in the secondary as well. So it's odd for a team that's played the schedule that they have to be as nicked up as they are at this point. But let's let's just think about it like this, because there's I've heard a lot of panic from Georgia fans. Your quarterback came out in the second half, made some big throws, did some big things to secure this win. Uh, He's continuing to grow. The offense is continuing to mesh. This is still a new offense. I know it's called they call the plays the same thing, but it's a different guy directing it both on the field and off the field. That changes things. It's going to take continuity a little bit of time to really come together. Um, You're undefeated right now. You're three and oh. So, and you got an SEC win. So you're one to know in the SEC um, there. I understand if you want to be mad at things, you can be mad at things, but there are also a lot of things to be positive about. Um, you know, I, I think when you, when you look at 10 on defense, Dumas Johnson running around making plays. Uh, I thought you got a couple of new faces that, that caused some problems up front. Michael Williams, that was kind of, we saw the flashes from him that we thought we were going to get all year and he was going to bust out on the scene and want to be one of the better defensive players in the SEC. So I, I just, I don't know. I don't have a, and I don't know why I've been like a little bit more of the optimist this year with a couple of different teams. Maybe it's too much, but I just focus on the things that I see that I like. And I, I think that if you can take those things and build upon them and continue to work on the things that are holding you back, it, it's things are going to work themselves out. Now, did 73 struggle in this game? Yes. Do I want to see more 19? Of course I do. Had him in the backfield on a couple of plays, like and use him that way, do different things with him. But it feels like every time Brock Bowers touches the football, like that drive just has more energy. That drive just seems to go a little bit easier. So I, I don't, I go back to like the Malik neighbors factor against Grambling. We told you last week and this showed up this week like force feed him the football that way he's ready that way you know you're going to get it to him you know which ways you can get it to him that are best suited for him and then boom we're off to the races so georgia 24 south carolina 14 uh i thought the south carolina defense did a nice job showing up early you had a little bit of weather in this game it's kind of wet too early on so it was just kind of a weird game um but south carolina kind of in the same spot that arkansas is right now Need some W's fast because the opponents that are coming up, uh, and that's that's when we're on that game this weekend. And I think both those teams need to win. Mississippi State at South Carolina. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how it goes. Speaking of Mississippi State, they go down 41-14 LSU. This is the LSU team we thought we were going to get. Jaden Daniels, I think he's, he hit his first 12 passes, first 14 passes, something like that. It was, he was ridiculous. Like, this was NBA Jam. Like He's doing the 360 up above the, the backboard and the ball's on fire. Like He's shooting from half court. He's on fire and the ball's just going in. Nothing but net. And the net burns up and the ball goes through because it's on because it's flames. 
he was torching this defense. Mississippi State secondary struggle. Corners struggle, specifically three. Rough day. Um, not sure why or if they could get him more help, but either way, the pass rush is what could have helped more than anything, and it was almost non-existent. It just didn't happen. It wasn't there. Um, you know, that was a game that I talked about during the week that I thought it was either going to be LSU walking away or kind of a last possession game. We mentioned last week that State's just going to kind of have to manufacture some wins. They're going to have to grind wins out. That's what they're going to have to do. Uh, they couldn't do it in this game. And it, it's beginning to look more and more like these are two offenses that are jammed together. And it'll be, you know, uh, you'll have a tight end or an H back. It'll be pistol and it's stretch zone. It's counter and some quick throws. And then all of a sudden it's shotgun offset running back. And we're back to air raid. I know it's not that I'm just telling you how it appears to me when I watch it. And sometimes it's tough to sort of mesh those together. If they are the complete opposite, mainly because the plays don't favor one another. You don't build off of like this. The plays don't marry up. And you always want plays that marry up. Like you run the stretch play so you can run the bootleg off of it, or you can run play action and take the shot. You run the stretch play. So the defense starts to flow and then you run counter because counter the back does one step like this. And then he comes back across and everybody's been flowing so hard. Then boom, you're pulling guys around and you have one out of the gate. So I, you know, you run, you throw slants early. So later in the game, you can just slant and go and you can hit up top for an explosive play. Like you throw the quick screens out of the perimeter to get the defenses up. And then that's when your double moves get you down the field. Like, so I just don't know how some of what they're doing is married to each other. And it feels like someone's going to be a little bit of a problem. Now you're not going to play Mason Smith, Makai Wingo and Harold Perkins very often either. Like you're not getting that this week, even though this is a veteran laced, you know, like, it's it's a it's a tough defense that you're going to play, um, but just you're not going to get many fronts like what you got with LSU. That's the good news. The bad news is that secondary is not very good. And you took, couldn't take advantage of it. Uh, I thought Woody Marks ran the ball hard. I feel like Tula Griffin needs to be a bigger part of the offense. I know he's not like a big physical go up and grab it, win 50 50 ball wide receiver guy. But you got to use him some, like get him going, find different ways to force feed him the football and let him be electric and let him do some things for your offense, because I just think he's too vital to what you could be. Um, but it was a, it was a rough showing. It was a rough outing. I don't know really any other way to describe it. Uh, Malik neighbors was out of control. Very impressive to see. Uh, but I think you, you saw coming off of the first half of the grambling game, they force fed him the football and trying to set some things up to say, Hey, this is going to be our guy moving forward. And they were able to do that. Um, and I, I thought it was cool to see Daniels not necessarily have to have all the offense revolve around him. Um, it looks like your running back position is starting to emerge, not with just one, but maybe two guys now uh, that look like they could sort of carry the load. And Logan Diggs, I think, could be the first one. But this is a strong performance by LSU on the road in an early kick in a tough environment. You go put 41 on Mississippi State's defense. It could not get to the quarterback. And now if you're state, you got to find a way to bounce back. Like you got to find a way to add pressure. You got to find a way to help your secondary. You know, I think 86% of the safety snaps were gone from last year. They got to replace those. They got to find different guys that can help out different ways to help them out. Um, but that's a, that's, they got a ton of leadership on that team. So if there's a team in this league that can bounce back from something like that, I'd probably put my money on Mississippi State being able to do that. Uh, Missouri gets a massive win against Kansas State. 
massive win. Before I get to that, I'm going to tell you about something massive from a health perspective that's helped me out. It's AG1. I've been taking it every day. I told you guys, I usually fast in the evenings. I do the radio show. And the first thing I do is I hit AG1. Like I guarantee you, like I, I carry these things around in my backpack all the time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to reach it, but like I've got those travel packs like almost everywhere that I go. I can't reach it right now, but usually like the AG1 travel packs just sitting there. I, I take them all over the place. Um, I have it every day and I've noticed like feeling better, uh, inflammation's down. I feel like my digestive system's working a little bit better, mental clarity, focus. I think AG1 helps me with all that because my, my thought process was these are things that I'm going to get that I probably am not going to get from my, my daily diet. Like I'm not going to be eating the things to get these nutrients that I need on a daily basis. So AG1 raising the standard for quality in the supplement category helps you build your health foundation first. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, whole food source nutrients. So I drink AG1. I'm a huge fan. I love it. I talk to a lot of other different... Jordan drinks it. Stanford Steve drinks it. We talk about it all the time. Um, you know, you hear my girls on the Big Boo podcast. They drink it. They love it. Uh, it's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. So here's what you need to do. Cost less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me, but a really effective daily habit with high quality source ingredients. It's a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. This is what you do. Go to drinkag1.com, drinkag1.com slash cube. That's drinkag1.com slash cube and check out that deal that you can get right now from AG1. It's part of my routine. It's part of my daily habit. I love it. You'll love it. It can help you. Go check it out. Drinkag1.com slash cube today. Uh, massive win for Missouri. First off, this is a good Kansas State football team. Um, I think Walker Howard's a good quarterback. I think that they are physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They play sound defensively. They use some bonus bigs that are usually tough to deal with, a la number 34, who found himself open a lot. That was a problem, especially with some of the zone beaters that Kansas State went too late. And you hit all the crossers. You saw him take advantage of that. Pop pass, got that in the end zone. However, they come away with a win. Uh, I thought Johnny Walker was big up front for the defense. Hopper was massive, man. Hopper was all over the place, making plays in the backfield, making plays out in space. Like he was just, he saved a lot for that Missouri defense in this game. Uh, Luther Burden, big seven for 114. Thought Brady Cook grew up a lot in this game. It looked like he rolled his ankle and wasn't going to be able to go because it actually looked pretty bad when you saw the replay. He comes back in next series. He's good to go. And then had some big runs after that as well. I, I looked early like they were going to lean on the quarterback run a little bit too much. And it's kind of like, man, you're going to have to throw the ball to win this game. Like you can't, it can't just be Q run. And then the run game wasn't really there. Uh, Schrader and those guys kind of couldn't get, couldn't get going. Uh, like, again, that's a tough front seven, a physical front seven. It's no real surprise that you don't just pound them into submission. But I love the way 
that the Missouri offensive staff used motion. They used it in the run game to help open a couple of things up. They used it to get burden going a little bit, but then most importantly, they used it to get him isolated and get the matchups they wanted with him, either motioning someone else to steal some eyes or motioning him into different spots and then hitting him up top for a couple of big plays. He made a, a couple huge plays late, 356 yards passing for cook. The O line was still a little bit shaky, a little bit inconsistent, but he found his calm a little bit more than he normally does. And that's why he was able to stand in and make some big plays. And then obviously you get Harrison Mevis that hits a 61 yard field goal uh, at the end of regulation. And a couple of things that we just have to talk about that go with that. All right. First off, um, Brady cook was fantastic in two minutes leading up to that. He was great. A couple of nice throws and just managed it all extremely well. Like when I said, find his calm, that was one spot that he did and he had to have it there. So that was great. Um, but you come up and spike and you go to the sideline, you stand around like nothing's happening. And then Eli's got to try to scramble you back out there with like four seconds left and you get a delay a game. Thankfully he hits the 61 yarder Missouri wins. It's an sec record and everybody's happy. But that saved a lot of headaches that saved a lot of negative publicity and a lot of BS for that program, because that's all people would be talking about today. So that's got to get cleaned up moving forward. That operation in two minute and game winning field goal situations has got to get cleaned up. I know there'll be an emphasis on it. I know drinking those guys will talk about it. They'll coach it up. But, oh, man. That was just one when you see it, you're kind of like, how does that happen? Like, how can you let that take place? And then they escape by the hair of their chinny chin chin with a bomb of a field goal and they get out of there with a win. It's just, it's a good win. You get it at home, a good team, a solid team that has a starting quarterback back, a lot back in the trenches on both sides and a very well coached team. Coach Kleiman does an excellent job with K-State, but Luther Burden, Brady Cook, excellent. Uh, Hopper, excellent. Walker, excellent on that defensive line. Uh, the stars came out for Missouri when they had to have them. Big players made big plays in that game. And so uh, it's a huge win. Uh, finally, we'll wrap it up with Alabama and South Florida. Alabama wins the game 17 to three. You'd think they lost the game first and foremost by reading Twitter and the internet and text messages that I'm sure you guys have gotten that are similar to what I've gotten. Uh, you know, the, the earth is ending. They're going off the plateau. Coach Saban's done. They can't win. They're going to drop four more games. First and foremost. And like, I, I don't know why I feel like I have to be this guy sometimes, but like, I'm just going to kind of do it here. They won the game. They won the football game. Did it look good? No. Very few parts of it did. A lot of it was ugly and I won't try to make that sound like that's not real, but they won the football game and they're undefeated. You know, they're, they're undefeated since you go down to Texas and and that's a national championship contender that knocked you off. So you at least came back and won the next game. The quarterback situation is, um, I don't even know because I, I know some of the things when we had Alabama against middle Tennessee that Tommy Reese told us about Tyler Buckner, the things he's capable of just the way the ball was coming out of his hand early. Uh, the one little, like kind of, he had to kind of move it around a defender and the ball just kind of flowed, flubbed out. And then it felt like every quick throw was either short or behind. Nothing really seemed to be on target. He, he looked a little panicked in the pocket, and you could tell pretty early on, like, this is not going to work. Um, 
And then Ty Simpson comes in and it's just not a ton better. Like he made, he made a couple throws late, two throws late that were pretty big. Um, but if it wasn't for Roydale Williams and some of those backs, which they were also a liability and protection for most of the day, as was the offensive line. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but running the football is what saved them. And I think, the, I think the fact that Tommy stuck with the run saved them too, because most teams would have just bailed. They ran it like the first two series and they got away from it. And then I think they realized the quarterbacks were as bad as they were. And they just went back to it and tried to grind that game out. Uh, the defense won the game though. I mean, Braswell and Turner were great off the edge. Boyby did some good things inside. Tim Smith showed up a little bit. Deontay Lawson was big. I thought Malachi Moore had a really nice game. Uh, interception in the end zone. Came up and made some plays in the alley. Corners covered fairly well. He had a slippery quarterback that was moving around. Did some things. Kept some plays alive. Um, but I think they had less than 100 yards passing. So, but I mean... Ty Simpson was five and nine for 73 yards. Buckner was five of 14 for 34 yards like that. That is huh, five of 15 on third down. Uh, now you held your opponents up, you know, under 270 yards. It's great. It's good. Um, but man, it just, it didn't look motivated. It didn't look, they looked disinterested. Uh, now, not everybody on defense did mostly, mostly that was on offense. Most of the guys on defense felt pretty ramped up. Um, but offensively, it just the left tackle is struggling with speed right now. Like he he can't handle a speed rush. Uh, the right tackle is getting beat inside on a regular basis. Like he has not gotten that repaired. And it's just movement is a killer for that group right now. And think about the teams that they've played. Texas didn't have to move a whole lot. They were bigger and badder and they came right at them. But Middle Tennessee moved a lot. They weren't going to be able to be stationary. And they struggled with it. This team moved a ton, but super athletic up front. They struggled with it. So run through, slants, run twists, games, pressures, um, pressuring late. Once again, that slide protection thing that we talked about where you slide it and the backer holds, 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 and then comes late away from the slide, blitzing the back. That got to the quarterback a couple of times. It's an epidemic, and you guys don't want to believe it, but it is. I promise you. Um, and it's it's holds true in Alabama as well. There seems to be a lack of understanding with a lot of their protections of when the back's in, when the back's out. I saw the back, a back and a lineman sort of back and forth on who who has who with multiple players off the edge a couple of times. Saw a couple of wasted offensive linemen in protection. That's just stuff that that that's mental, man. Like. That that's stuff that can be cleaned up. It can be repaired, but I don't know if it can be repaired in a week. Uh, so what do you do? You dumb down your protections. Well, that means you probably go more quick slide gap protection, which is going to get you in trouble in different ways that we already discussed. I thought the backs ran hard when they had the ball in their hands. Did they play great without the ball in their hands? Not really. Um, so you have quarterbacks that are inconsistent, hesitant, pulling the trigger too quickly. Can't be calm in the pocket, panicked in the pocket. Um, probably not getting them into the right stuff. And I, I don't know where you go. Like we talked about that fork in the road last week. I think it's, 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 it's more narrow now, but it's also more definitive as in it has to happen. So you're going to go Milro and put in some quarterback run and be heavy with that and try to find a way to make that go. Maybe it can happen. Um, but the, the offensive line's got some things to, to figure out. Like it, there's, there feels like a little bit of that killer instinct. That's not there. But there's a lot of cohesiveness. That's not there. And part of it is people have found some things that they struggle with and they're attacking those things. And they're, this is the, 
One problem that I'm also seeing with a lot of teams, and this is a big problem with Alabama, is, and I think Roman and I are going to talk about this on Read and React Monday night, 6 p.m. on the SEC Network Central. Um, A lot of teams, specifically Alabama, they are not making defenses pay for what they are risking. And what I mean by that is where they are being high risk and what they're leaving behind, they're not attacking that. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but Alabama specifically, there are a lot of moments when you get, say, you get like a 15-yard cushion out to the left because the safety, the the nickel, the alley defender is walking up and he's going to blitz. You have a receiver standing by himself with a 12, 15-yard cushion and you try to run some sort of a you know, zone read handoff in and he comes flat and makes the play. Like you have to make them pay first for giving you the one-on-one two for giving you one-on-one with that much cushion. You could turn and spit it and throw it. You could run a slant right there and probably the guy's still running, but there are very few offenses that can, can see that quickly enough to actually make a defense pay. So what these defenses are doing now is they're saying we'll slant. And if we don't have anybody backside, who cares? We think we're going to cause enough problems up front that we're going to get into the backfield and we're going to destroy your run play anyway, or we're going to get pressure on your quarterback and you're not going to find your third read, which is where we're weak and be able to attack it. It's kind of something I feel like Tennessee tried to do to Florida and it just, it just flat didn't work. The Florida O-line handled it. Um, But I, I just, they've got to find a way to see where defenses are weak and attack it. And I understand a lot of what they're doing is a little bit confusing and you don't have guys that have played a ton of football together that are in there right now, but dumb it down, make it easy, do what you got to do because it just, it looks sloppy. It looked ugly. And, and I will, I will, I will counter just with this. You had a quarterback change. Okay. You had your best offensive lineman out. You had your best defensive lineman out and you had weather. So just kind of take that into consideration a little bit. I don't think we, we, we have to completely kill all the kids with everything that we say about them, but they're, they need, they need a lot. And it starts with motivation. It starts with leadership. They need guys playing like 15, 41 and 32 on defense. Like I might find a way to let those guys play offense with the way they're playing because they, they are getting after it. Uh, 13 got after it on defense. One got after it on defense. Like I, 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 Whatever that side is talking about from a motivational perspective needs to happen on the other side of the football because they, they got it down. The, the other side just is not where it needs to be. Um, but it was disappointing to watch because it, it did not. You never thought you would see that from an Alabama team coached by Nick Saban. You never thought you'd see a team where you're like, man, this effort just not what I thought. Oh, oh, this is uh, the, the communication's not there. The comprehension's not there. The, the attitude and the demeanor lacks a killer instinct. Never thought you would say that. And you did like, when's the last time, when's the last time you saw Alabama safeties get thumped multiple times in a game by running backs? Hmm? 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 Cause I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I saw it in that game, Nikon Wright put one on Caleb Downs that literally hurt my spine watching it. So, and there's another one that came later in the game on a different player. You just don't see that very much. So just things that are different about this team that may be able to be corrected, may not be able to be corrected, but lane coming in there this weekend here's I'll tell you what would be the scariest thing for me. If I was an Alabama fan right now, I had lane Kiffin post game. Okay. And I asked him about Jackson dart, asked him about the defense, defending the stretch play, blah, blah, all that. 
And my producer hits me and he said, I think you probably need to ask him about Alabama. I don't think I would have just because it's kind of like, eh, you know, you just won a game. I said, hey, Alabama next. When I say that, what does it make you think? Describe that. And he sat there for a minute. He kind of, he said, you know, Coach Saban, it's Alabama. You know, I guess we got to go to Tuscaloosa. And he walks away. Now, why is that scary? Because normally, that's his opportunity to, you know, go off or be funny or be cute or say something or do something that gets attention and clicks and retweets or whatever. And he decided to completely pass on it. Which, when he does all the other stuff, sometimes I think that's a a cover-up for where his team may be lacking. I felt like that was almost a sign of the utmost confidence with what he's bringing in there next weekend. And I'm not sold that Ole Miss wins that game. A lot of people are. A lot of people, a lot of people on my crew are talking about, oh yeah, it's done. Yeah, they'll go in there. I, I don't, I'm not, I still haven't decided on that one. I'll, I'll make a call on that one later in the week, but uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I see in that game that could be trickier than people think when they're trying to break it down. But just one other thing from Lane that we got. So I had a great time in Oxford. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, reach down, click subscribe. Thank you so much. Once again, I just want to tell you guys, I really appreciate all the kind words last week. It is, it's only one AM right now. So we're way ahead of schedule compared to last week. We started at like 2 AM last week. So we're way ahead. Uh, next week, we should be able to get it out on Sunday. I'm hoping to do that for you guys. Thank you for sticking with us. Like I said, we're going to watch the tape. We're not going to do this unless we see the film. We're not. And I got through it and it took a while. I got on a later flight today. So I was able to hit some baseballs in the backyard with the kids, able to go to brunch with the fam. Got a little bit of that in. So it was all good. I think Jordan rode back to Birmingham with me from uh, Oxford. I think we rolled in at like, uh, I think I dropped him off at the Westin downtown at like 120, 130, something like that. Um, so yeah, a little bit better than the week before. So we're... We're, we're, we're narrowing it down here a little bit, getting better and better. Thanks for being with us at Cube Show on Twitter, at Cube Show on Instagram. You guys know we're going to be back next week. We might not know exactly when it is, but by God, we're going to get it to you. And we're going to talk football each and every week right here on Cube Show. Thank you guys so much. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.